It's baseball season at Three Punk Ales, home of La Flama Blanca Pale Mexican Lager. Located in the heart of the South Bay at 259 3rd Avenue, Chula Vista. We're just a minor threat. Three Punk Ales. You're listening to the Emo Brown, the Saddest Mexican Podcast. Sound different? Does it sound any different if I put the mask? Your, your uh, levels went down a little bit, just Not, a little, just, right. just, just, just checking. Do your thing, brother. No, it's all good. Let's see. Um, boom, boom, boom. Okay, cool. Aquí estamos precisamente con el jefe de jefes, el locutor, <laughs> Craig Elston. I don't know if I'm the jefe de los jefes. But, uh, <laughs> I am el locutor. <laughs> Craig Elston is a local legend. I've been listening to his voice for a minute. For those of you who don't know, Craig. Where did you get your origins? What's the word with Mr. Elston? What's the word? What have you heard? Well, I mean, you know, I got stories. Yes, I do. I got stories. How about you? Pinchy Dr. Seuss, calmado. Well, I came to San Diego uh, in 1990. I grew up in Long Beach. Uh, so just up the coast. But, uh, you know, born and raised in Long Beach, went to Long Beach Poly, I uh, was lucky enough to be uh, in a really cool class um, at a great school. Um, I was certainly one of the least famous of the people who graduated from my class. Ooh, who else uh, graduated with you? Well, I'd say in terms of pure curating, Cameron Diaz is number one. Handled it. Nice. Um, and she's someone I definitely saw around campus. Like, you did? Oh, you. Yeah. She was a. You commingled with she, Cameron Not D. really. But she was more of that cool, those cool girls that walk by and you walk by, you know, but that's about that for the commingling. <laughs> um, but uh, she was a cheerleader at, uh, at Pauly at, oh, nice. at one point. Um, and then from a sports standpoint, uh, Willie McGinnis. Who nice. you know, uh, Super Bowl Bill. champion with uh, with the Patriots, and but went to USC. Did um, I just say Buffalo Bills? And it was wrong. Bills. Uh, he I may have he played. With a, he played with a bunch of different teams, but I don't know if he played for the Bills. You know he what? Usually, like, the skate by with my sports knowledge, but around dudes like you, man, mm-mm-mm. Yeah, I always you, feel yeah. like I have to like take it down a notch. I can I. I sometimes <laughs> I I learned a lot about sports. I forgot some too. Um, but he was our dominant you know, two-way lineman on football and the center for the basketball team. Uh, Tyus Edney is another name. If you, this is a, this is a pull for sports fans because UCLA won the 1995 college basketball championship. He was the point guard of that team. And he did go on to play in the NBA. He was a point guard for the Celtics and then he kind of kicked around. Um, but he was, you know, the silky point guard with the moves. Mr. Smooth guy. So So we had two pro athletes, uh, like four kids from our senior basketball team went to D1 college um, and then Cameron Diaz and then like probably a thousand successful people. So you were like in a cornucopia me. of talent in your high school. Not yeah. bad. Well, they are the homeless scholars and champions, Long Beach Poly. Oh, uh, <laughs> but I came to San Diego to, to go to UCSD. And uh, it's funny because the reason I 
went to UCSD um, was primarily because I knew I wanted to do sports play-by-play. It's something I knew I wanted to do since I was 16. And I took the campus visit, and when they went through the uh, commons area where the radio station was, I just left the campus tour, and I went into the radio station and started asking around at KSDT. So it was at UCSD that you decided that that could be the career path that you chose. It was at Poly. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, It was when I was 16 that I wanted to be a radio play-by-play announcer. And uh, I went into KSDT, and they had no sports department, and I was hooked. That sounds counterintuitive, but I'm like, oh, there's no sports department. I could walk right in. I'm on it. Freshman, you know, fall semester and announce the basketball team if I wanted to because they could do it and there's and no one's doing it. No one's, you're not going to be Willie pipping anybody. Well, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no one's going to yeah, – or right, or wait till my senior year and have to just plug in the cords for three years or something. You know, I was like, okay, I'm in. Um, and a, a friend of mine – who I had played trumpet with the year before had gone down there and liked it. And, you know, I met him. I was just, and of course. You strike me as a ska player. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And uh, La Jolla, beautiful, right? So I went to UCSD and I never left. How do you, man? And that made you a San Diegan for life. Yeah. I'm a San Diegan now for sure. Um, right. I mean, because, yeah, <laughs> I've spent 30 years here now. So, so we've crossed paths many times. Many times flirted with actually meeting each other, um, involved with a lot of local sports, a lot of things. You wear a lot of hats. Uh, one of the most impressive ones, man. And, and then we'll, we'll get to that more deeply. But when you got involved with the soccers, I know you, you jump get it with, with the San Diego goals. But when you got involved with the soccers, when I really started playing, paying close attention to what you were about, because I, I figured, you know what? Elson's going to have to like take it to the next level here because it's, it's not hockey. It's soccer. Yeah. It's, it's bilingual. It's binational. It's everything, man. It's like probably taking you out of your comfort zone, putting you into a whole new, whole new field of work. Uh, boy, that's happened to me so many times. <laughs> um, and in, in a way, that's very true. Um, it was my second trip with the soccers, and they've been a saving grace in a family for me. Here in San Diego, I mean, full stop. They're uh, the people in that organization I consider family. Uh, I have a deep loyalty to their owner, Phil Salvaggio, uh, to who is also the head coach. You know, he's my he's my jefe. Dude, he's a good dude. He's, Above and beyond everything else, he's a good dude. Yeah, and he's a family man, and he's always instilled that value. Uh you know, we just had a really tough week because uh, we had to shrink our staff. And that's what every company's been facing. Welcome to COVID. Right. And Phil held out longer than every other MASL team by months. You know, I, I've been running unopposed on social media for weeks posting for soccers and just trying to keep our team relevant and trying to keep just trying I to love keep those highlights flowing, bro right? I love those highlights well I, I'm like hey you know what we've turned it into a retro channel mm-hmm. now it is and, and there's nothing wrong with right, it <laughs> yeah I mean there's nothing wrong with it is exactly right and you know we are in a tough spot I'm, I'm kind of you know putting a business thing out there or a sports business thing but our league can't work without fans 
So we're watching sports being back in America and we're watching sports being back in Europe and, you know, the English Premier League playing in front of empty stadiums and La Liga and then here even MLS Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, MLB and soon probably NFL. um, And all the way through, you're seeing these empty stadiums, but you're watching it on TV and there's huge TV money that these owners are getting at least. So they're losing their ass, but... They're still getting these billions, billions of dollars. TV, TV revenues, just paid sponsorships, all of the things. Right. Now, there's literally zero of that in indoor soccer. No one is paying anyone to broadcast a game. We're putting them on YouTube. It's a great platform for the league, and it's fine, uh, and it's accessible, but it's not a TV contract. Mm-hmm. It's not a deal with ESPN or NBC, you know? Um, so our league is 100% dependent on gate revenue, Corporate sponsorship, merchandise sales for your in-person fan participation, pretty much. People have to be in the stands for this model to succeed. For it even to make any money, Mm -hmm. you know, and we can do a bubble tournament and I hope the league will do at some point a bubble tournament, but it's a guaranteed money loser. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you're starting at zero and then subtracting and you're, all you're doing is subtracting. So it's just a matter of wanting to do that for your league, you know, um, you the benefit that would be gained would not be financial. Um, so we're in an incredibly tough spot and it just, because this whole thing has been, I don't know, is this a, a an explicit podcast or an unexplicit podcast? You do whatever the fuck you want, Nelson. Okay. Well, the thing is we so, it's such a colossal clusterfuck the way we've handled COVID as a country and the fact that you guys can't be open right now. And I mean, you, you're open outside, you're doing yes. what you can. Um, it's you been know, a constant uh, level of hurdles that a business owner has to uh, get through, run around. Sometimes right. just run straight through them, man. I mean, you know, you you know exactly the deal, man. Well, they they've asked you to survive, and then created conditions by which you must, as opposed to a, a different way that could have been handled. It is like you know, instead of handing a million, a trillion and a half. Dollar pay cut to the richest people in America. They could have not done that and had money to give to business owners to Agreed. stay alive while yeah, staying man. closed. And we could have been closed in a true way for six weeks and we could have, but that's a completely different podcast. It has nothing to do with me. Um, <laughs> but, but it does. It has well, everything right, no, to do with right. all of us, man. Right. There, I don't know anybody who hasn't been touched in a negative way with what's going on. Yeah. I mean, you are involved in an industry and, you know, for a little bit of background, San Diego soccer is one of the most winningest franchises in sports fucking history, yep. let alone here, San Diego yep. ultimate, yep. you know, the pinnacle of what every franchise in San Diego wants to become Absolutely. is the San Diego soccer's and your involvement with the San Diego soccer's is chief marketing officer. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So chief marketing officer. And now at this point we can also add director of communication yeah, yeah. and I've always been, play and by you've play. been killing it. You've yeah. been killing it and play by play and yeah, a whole lot of things, but COVID it just threw a wrench and everything, man. And, and, and every, every conversation I have with, with anybody that comes in here and whoever we hang out with and just shoot the shit and go back and forth, ultimately it all comes to that. Like, what has COVID done to you? Like, yeah. how has COVID touched you? What have you learned? How can you adapt? Have you had to pivot? Have you pivoted? I've right. noticed people who haven't pivoted are the ones having a hard time. You know, it's like- Sure, sure. Well, I can say for me, I feel like I'm Absolutely in the upper percentile of people who have been blessed and fortunate with the situation, because as I mentioned, I haven't lost my job and 
by all rights, I could have. Um, and by some rights, I should have, you know, because what I'm kind of getting around to, I mean, nothing's official, but in no way does it look like the MASL is going to play their next season. And what that's going to mean for our franchise is that we're going to have to sit almost 18 months between games. Ugh. You know, there's uh, many franchises can't survive. Um, many are just going to hibernate essentially to, to cook at zero calories and, yeah. and wait and then try to emerge on the back end. Um, Live off the fat for as long as you can and then just kind of. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, but we're still around, but we even so had to reduce our staff. And, and so, I mean, that was really a, just such an incredible bummer, but it's also just a recognition of what's going on. And our owner has an arena project, which is keeping the couple of us who are employed. And that's employed. public. Yeah, I, I mean, quasi public kind. I, yeah, I know you guys kind of like flirt with the uh, leaking certain information. Yeah, personally, I'm fucking excited for that, man. Well, absolutely. I mean, it. The Oceanside Mayor made it public uh, okay. New Year's Eve last year, so that certainly wasn't our intent. Mm -hmm. um, but he did make that public, um, and it's not a lie. We're we're trying to build an arena, and it's not just trying. Phil is doing it a way most people don't. Most people ask the public for money. Yeah, this is Mr. Self-Funded, you know? Yeah, he is self-building yeah. this casino. So, admirable. Casino. Hey <laughs> uh, this arena. Uh, you know, I wish it was a casino. That's an automatic moneymaker. Um, but the the thing about that is you can still build. You can build through a depression, you know, and maybe come out on the other end. Yeah, if you could make it last. If, if logistically, if you could... And that goes with anything that we've done in any any industry, any personal finance. If you know how to stretch your dollar, if you know how to, you know, if you have a firm understanding of your household finance or household finances, you should be able to be okay. But what COVID did is it took a lot of household finances away from them. Right. I you know? mean, if you don't have a job and there's no jobs to be had. You know, I mean, there's only so many Amazon drivers. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you've had a great job working the brown for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I've been there for six years. Before that, I was in finance and then we opened the brewery. But I knew from the get-go, man, I knew jumping from a legit nine-to-five career in banking and finance into entrepreneurship and something where it, it's got to be self-driven and a lot of stars have to line just for you to actually be profitable and just yeah it's ridiculous my man so that was like you know what my insurance my my insurance bet is going to be betting on myself to work at ups and everybody was like oh are you doing that it's like bro because you never know and ups never sleeps you never <laughs> UPS know never fucking sleeps man you never know is definitely the story of of my life that's for sure so this position you currently have now was it is it the dream position getting to play or getting to be a part of major player with the san diego soccer's Chief Marketing Officer, Director of Communications, Craig Elston, Mr. Play-by-Play, -play, when you saw yourself as a 16-year-old, Polytech, I want to be this. This is where I want to get to. No. Okay. Definitely not. Um, I, you know, I'm 48 now, uh, which appears to be crazily my whole career before I got to my 40s. Being a white male in his forties was fucking money time. Yeah, this is this is where that's, you rake it. That's where the cash. That's where the privilege and the cash all comes together, you know. And uh, in modern society, being forty eight now is being eighty eight. Like it, you're not 
in tune. You're not necessarily hireable anymore. Um, maybe a couple of markets. Okay. But a, a cis white male in his late 40s is, has a very low chance of being hired right now. I'm not in any way saying that to be derogatory to the system. I'm just telling what. That's your experience. That's that, my, yeah, for that's sure. my experience. That's my learned experience and lived experience um, is that I probably have no shot at this point of getting what my 16 year old dream was, which was to be a major league play by play announcer. I've got now a shoot the moon shot at that. But um, you had a, you dipped your toe in that game though. I've come, I, I've had multiple point inflection points where I thought I might get there. Yeah. Um, I could probably point to five different points in my career where this I, is it. I either made the wrong decision mm -hmm. or the wrong thing happened. Okay. And it prevented me from reaching that incredibly elusive dream. Like if you really think about yeah. being a major league play-by-play <laughs> -play announcer specifically, um, you're talking about uh, if you are willing to broaden your horizons to expand to every league, 150 jobs. Yeah, man. People say it's difficult to get to the big show, the majors, you know? Yeah. But ultimately that's 25 people in the, you know, in the major leagues per team. Per team. Yeah. And then a 40 and then, man roster. And then a 40 man roster. And then the triple A affiliate, double A affiliates, all the minor league affiliates, you know? So obviously it's hard. Obviously that path to get to there is difficult enough. Yeah. But when you're thinking about becoming a play by play announcer, where you're maybe what thinking about four or five people per squad, where it's like, you know, color commentator and right, an right. analyst and maybe an on-field reporter. Maybe See, I can never be the analyst, right? I mean, in certain situations, yes. Um, but most of the time, a guy who hasn't played isn't going to be the analyst, right? It's going to be some dude who played. Yeah. Oh, um, for sure. No better right? insight than somebody who was incited. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a radio team, you know, like Ted and Jesse, right? So two guys. You know, sometimes you get a third guy. Um but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's extremely, extremely limited. It's a it's a silly, goofy, stupid career path to to pursue. So there is a lot of hurdles, I presume. A lot of obstacles get oh, involved. Oh, absolutely. Is it cutthroat? Absolutely. Really. And it's also random. And it's also your name. And it's also who you know. And it's also political. You know, huh? That absolutely. There's and it's also like I said. There's there's a total element of sliding doors to it, you know? Um, so I'll give you an example of that. You asked me when you asked me on the podcast to think about my career, and I did think about my career. And I, I, you know. Uh, Introspective time. <laughs> right, but I mean, you know, maybe it's the nature of approaching 50, but you, you actually do think about mm -hmm. things. Like not as, uh, I'm not trying to give you a sales pitch, in other words. I'm talking about my unvarnished truth. Um, there were a couple of, of definite inflection points where I think I made a choice that prevented me from getting where I wanted to go. And the first one for sure is January of 2002. So my radio career began at the Mighty 690 uh, or Extra Sports 690. Extra Sports, yeah, for sure. Uh, depending on which year you talk of it. Uh, as an intern in the summer of 1995 and then hired uh, January of 1996. Okay. And I worked every position you could work at the station that wasn't management. So I was a board up. I was a, a producer. You know, I was a weekend board up. I was a 
primetime board up. I was a network engineer. Uh, I cut commercials. I was, uh, you know, worked the back room, did up sports updates, uh, was, but I was also a host on the air. Is that a part for the course type of situation for radio industry where if you're involved in the radio industry, be prepared to have your finger in as many little tasks, jobs needed? Not necessarily. You okay. could be lucky, privileged, mm -hmm. uh, step right into the role you wanted and just do that. But I never had that chance at 690. 690 is a magical time uh, in that it was one of the great sports stations of all time. Yep. It was in the height of its yep. existence. The Chargers uh, were- Absolutely, yeah, right? Um, I, I was such a fan of 690. I was a Chargers fan. Mm -hmm. Even in Long Beach growing up, I was a Chargers fan. I was a fan of the Dodgers, the Lakers, the Kings, UCLA- but the Chargers, instead of the Rams and the Raiders, I had a dalliance with the Rams and the Raiders at some point in my early teens. But my dad, who was a teacher, one of his co-teachers was the brother of one of the longtime uh, coaches of the Chargers under Coriel, uh, Dave Levy. And so because of that weird oblique connection, connection, I would get a Chargers media guide, a Chargers pennant, like random shit that. Comes came, your way. Just that came through <laughs> the brother of the coach who my dad was a, a football player, football coach. So he loved football and, you know, uh, and, and so that stuff would permeate me. So like I was rooting for the chargers, uh, for the Epic in Miami. That's like when I remember my first ever youth, uh, true sports experience was being nine years old, 1981 Epic in Miami and like being on my knees, like praying for Uwe von Schaman to miss those <laughs> two field goals that Kellen Winslow blocked. Right. And it wasn't even just one. It was twice that like we were just Dude, those ass out dead and Kellen Winslow blocked the, the field goal. Um, the <laughs> uh, that that's insane. But um, so I had all, you know, I had all of this stuff growing up and I idolized Vince Scully, Chick Hearn, mm -hmm. Chicky Hearn. Uh, Chick Hearn, first and foremost of all, and Bob Miller, the, all Hall of Famers mm -hmm. in their sports, you know, for baseball, basketball, and hockey, respectively. And those were the people that I idolized. I mean, especially Chick, but that's why I wanted when I was 16 to be a play-by-play -play announcer. That's crazy. And, that's awesome. Right? That's an awesome goal to aspire to get to. Uh, and the very first inflection point I had was, was early in my 690 career when I it wasn't a hundred percent, but I was pretty sure I had a chance to become the voice of the Visalia A's in single A. Mm -hmm. And I would have had to move to Visalia. And I, at the time thought my local being on sick, working on 690, the powerhouse of the West coast, the second most powerful sports station in America was a better position than going to Visalia and being yeah, the single A announcer. In a wooden bleachers in a hundred degree temperature announcing single A A's baseball. So what year would that have been? I was, I think, 97 or 96 or 97. Okay. Um, so, but that was an opportunity. And that's the most traditional path a young single man took to get to the major leagues was to abandon all family, abandon all relationships, go work in bumfuck Iowa. Throw or, yourself into the or position. Or yeah, for sure. Work your way up, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and eventually, you know, after three years calling AAA, get called up to the big leagues, right? So um, that is the path. That's the blueprint. That's a blueprint. A blueprint. That's okay. a blueprint. 
Um, it's not the, but it's a. It's one of. It's one of the. It was at a point traditional. Okay. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily traditional anymore. I think a lot of people just don't make the majors, and it doesn't matter. You could announce AAA forever. Um, but in the year two thousand, uh, I got an opportunity. It's in. It, Radio changed. Radio changed a ton during my career in radio. And the biggest thing that happened was consolidation. Uh, giant companies gobbling up small radio stations nationwide. And again, that seems to be a common theme in that industry, man. Anytime I look at something, oh, CBS has taken over this. Or yep. da -da -da, and it's like, yep. I'm like, holy crap. It's, a, it's like an industry and influx always. Absolutely. Um, and... That happened, and Clear Channel, uh, which is now iHeartRadio, mm -hmm. uh, Clear Channel gobbled up 11 San Diego radio stations. And they had an ability, uh, at the time, the law was eight, but the stations with a Mexican license fit outside. So they had 11. And uh, in 2000, I was given the opportunity, along with Ben Higgins, to basically transfer from 690 to Kogo AM 600 News Talk Radio, where they Clear Channel had just picked up the Padres contract, and uh, we worked together from 2000 to 2003 doing Padres pre and post game on Kogo. Those were the four years that iHeart Clear Channel had. I remember the you distinctly doing Padre talk. Yeah. You know, and I was like, oh man, who's this guy? And then I don't know if I still, I don't know when I stumbled across you in the social media era. Later. Yeah, but I was like, <laughs> oh, that's the guy. I, was, I remember right. I was like, that's the guy. That's the guy who did this, who did that, who did this. And then I started like connecting dots with, oh, he knows this guy. Oh, he knows that guy. And then I was like, okay, he's in the San Diego Goals now. Yeah, yeah. Was, so without wanting to, without purposely doing it rather, it's like I followed your career. You know, like doing, right. you know, doing everything because with now in social media was specifically Twitter because I, I feel like like Twitter is one of those um, realms where people can connect the dots about you. Yeah, and especially like you know, you carry some weight. Your name carries weight in San Diego. You, you people I know. know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> it's like they see Craig Elson. It's like oh, like you can just click Craig Elson. It's like goals. Padres, you right. know, like talk, talk radio. And yeah. I'm like, Oh God. And then now podcasting, you know, and it's right. always, and you've always been involved with, um, topics that pique my interest. So it just made it more easier just to be like, Oh, sure. fuck, what's this guy doing? Sure. Let's see, where is he at now? Well, I mean, yeah, I thought I was going to work at when I was in high school, college, and then starting my career, I thought I was going to work in radio my whole career. Mm -hmm. Um, and people, any generation before mine would have lived out that dream. I think. Um, but radio is a dead, but they're not dead yet industry. How is it surviving? Obviously, ad advertising. Only by and only corporation, conglomeration, and it's, it, but it's barely, 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 barely living. It's mostly dying. It's mostly losing. Uh, it, it's losing money and it's losing space and people are losing jobs and it's becoming increasingly automated. It's becoming increasingly homogenous. It's becoming increasingly like what you can get on apps on your phone. Um, but at, when I was young, it was vibrant. It was real. It was real time. There's a magic to radio. There's it's theater of the mind, you know, and that's why I was always attracted to radio play by play more than television. Um, because 
you know, I grew up a son of a high school football and basketball coach who was not coordinated myself. And, but I loved sports and like we would go on, both my parents were teachers. We'd go on RV trips most summers across the country. And one of the things I did as I was growing up as a teenager was wherever we were going, I would tune the radio to find Find the sports radio. And like, you know, you'd get, you'd be in Texas, but uh, St. Louis channel has a strong signal and bounced off a cloud and hit you. Or you're like, you know, I can't believe I'm listening to whoever, you know, the giants broadcast and I'm in Colorado. Like, you, you, you know, you didn't know, but I would like, so there was this magic, uh, to radio. And, uh, of course the, the industry died, but, um, speaking of the inflection point, which was the story I was rambling to, uh, I got that Padres gig pre and post game. And I felt like I was in the big leagues. Now, I wasn't doing what my dream was. I wasn't announcing the game. You know, uh, Jerry Coleman and Ted Leitner were announcing the game. But Ben and I were on before them, and Ben and I were on after them, and I was in the dugout, and I was talking to Boach. <laughs> you, and, tell, you, 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 know. you ask me, that's, you're in the show, bro. I mean, I mean you're, I'm, you're I'm in, in the, the show. In the I'm talking show. to Tony. Talk, I'm talking yeah, to Boach. Yeah. I'm talking to Ricky Henderson. Yeah. I'm talking to these people. You know, we've got this job. But, I mean, my job, my goal was play-by-play. Play. Now, I, ha- I got an incredible opportunity, and... Uh, for two springs, in the spring of 2001 and the spring of 2002, I did live my dream, but it was spring training. So in my mind, it doesn't count. Okay. So you can say, <laughs> and in no, all honesty, Craig, you made it. That's where I heard your voice then, man. Cause I remember distinctly, I, I was a geek, still am. Um, I loved listening to broadcasts for, for spring training. I was that kid that would have the little spiralist notebook and I would write everybody's lineup down and I would keep score. Even if I'm playing video games on Nintendo, what was it? Baseball stars. I'd create yeah. my own squad oh and I'd my. keep, yeah, man, I was a geek. I'd turn the volume down and I'd be no batting, you know, like I'd do the whole thing. Cause to an extent I kind of wanted to be involved in that industry. I remember your voice vividly, bro. So it had to be from spring training. Well, I mean, that, would surprise me deeply, but I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, so I don't even remember how I got to know Andy Roth, but Andy Roth used to be a great ally in my career. And he was a young producer for Major League Baseball. And in 2001, they debuted. That was the year they created the company MLB Advanced Media, also known as MLBAM, which when it was sold for however many zillion dollars, it was a big news story in baseball a couple of years ago where every team got $50 million and it was because of the sale of MLBAM. Well, on the on almost the literal ground floor was the beginning of MLB radio and internet before we had these smartphones and internet broadcasting service by Major League Baseball. And for two spring trainings, spring training 01 and 02, I got to go to the Cactus League in Arizona and Monday through Friday, announce a one o'clock Cactus League baseball game. And it would be a different venue every day. So, you know, it would be Maryvale and the Brewers taking on the Giants. And then it would be Peoria and the Padres hosting the Angels. And then it would be uh, Phoenix and the Angels are hosting the A's and, and around the Cactus League. And they had a different crew in Florida doing the same thing, doing a Grapefruit, grapefruit League game. And then they'd toss off to us and we do a Cactus League game. Uh, and it was my dream. It was my dream come true. And uh, I did great. Andy loved me. Uh, in 02, 
MLB Radio got their New York offices and began the process of what eventually would become MLB Network. Okay, like eight years later or six years later would become MLB Network. The foundation of. Yeah, but it was honestly, yeah, exactly. It was the rock upon which it was built. And uh, in January of 02, Andy floated the idea of me coming out to New York and, and working for MLB Radio. And here's the thing. December 29th, 2001 was my wedding day. Ah. And 2000 was our first year with the Padres and now one. And now I'm doing this, you know, spring training gig and the fork in the road, brother fork in the road. And at the time I very inaccurately thought that my path was already on the way. I'm, like you said, hey, to me, you're in the show, bro. For sure. Hey, to me, I was in the show too. I was around the team. You know, Kevin, I have Kevin Towers' number, KT. you know, uh, whatever, right? Like I've got relationships with these people. I'm still young. I'm only basically 30. Dude, that's fucking uh, rad. 29 Just, going on 30. Like if you think at that time, what you were doing, who right. you were around, that's, yeah. that's fucking awesome. Yeah. I've, I've, I've got <laughs> this great gig at this news station that was way more, had higher ratings than the sports station I was on. Like it, life was pretty good. You know, life was good. And, and I got married and we had been going out for a long time, just this relationship. And we finally get married. And I'm like, and a month into this, I'm going to move to New York, knowing she's not going to move to me. And I'm like, we had talked about that. Like, she wasn't going to move to New York. So probably I'm choosing between my marriage and my career. One month in. A month in. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Give me Christ. a few years. <laughs> Give me a few Jesus years. Christ. The decision would have been a little easier, maybe. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding, honey. I'm kidding. Uh, but- Right. And so I didn't go and I did get to go do spring training the next year. And then the year after that, things changed and they didn't do that anymore. You know, and that, and that job, I didn't lose it. It disappeared. It disappeared. Right. But, uh, but I never got to do major league play by play again, um, in my career. I thought I was on the right path in Oh three. There was a chance to do a spring training game. I thought, I appealed to my boss at the work at work. Ben kind of went a little behind my back. What he appealed directly to a Padres person he had a relationship with. Ben got the chance to call that game with Jerry Coleman. Uh, and, and I didn't. And that probably hurt our relationship too. Um, but it was just one of those things. Like I was right there. I was right there reaching out to grab it. the ring. I can touch it. And it didn't happen. And then... I was I wound up in a radio career for the next six years after that that was very different than what I intended because as quick as Clear Channel got the radio gig, they lost it yep. to my old friends who lost their jobs at 690 a year before and then all got their jobs at 1090, a new station. Jesus Christ, man. A year later. Cannibalism left and right. Everybody. It, it's uh. insane. Like we watched 690 be destroyed from within by Clear Channel. Ben and I watched from our safe perch at Kogo as people lost their jobs and the whole thing was cleaned out and moved to LA. And we were like, God, how lucky are we? We would have been the people out on the street. 
And then like a few months later, John Lynch re-energizes the whole thing, spends cash to get the Padres uh, rights when Clear Channel was losing their ass on it because you might remember Petco Park was delayed two years. It was supposed to be in the middle of the Clear Channel contract that Petco Park opened. So that played a big factor. It played all the factor. Oh, it shit. was the factor. That Bruce Henderson and all that shit, if you remember 2000 and all the lawsuits. and I do remember all the lawsuits, Petco man. Petco Park was stopped for mm-hmm. two years. It was, it was just a, a big dirt pitch with rebar sticking out of it for like two years. And those two years were supposed to be Clear Channel's money years. And instead, they got the 2002 and 2003 Padres, two of the worst teams ever in Padres history. And be, and two teams that John Moores was- What, not, Brian Buchanan didn't do it for you, bro? Right, exactly. <laughs> Brian Tolbert, Brian Buchanan, right. Uh, you know, Davy Cruz. I mean, we can go down the list. Julios Matos, um, some truly terrible players. Yeah, it was a squad. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, Eugene Kingsale being oh, a player we God. thought was a, a, a revelation. Um and those years where John Moore's literally skipped them, that he didn't care. You know, in September of 03, he traded for Brian Giles so they would have a player for the next year. So we had like three weeks of Brian Giles. But, uh, you know, for two years, we shepherded one of the worst teams ever. Um, and uh, then 1090 had the contract. And we, I still had a job at Kogo. Ben went to go do Channel 10, where he's been incredibly successful for. 17 years or something. Um, and I was doing morning sports updates and going to the Padre game to collect sound and stuff, but uh-huh, not uh-huh. being really a part of those four good years when the Padres opened Petco Park. Which so much turmoil in, in the radio industry locally, it seems like everything seems to get magnified when it's local. And it's just like, ah. And this seems like one of those towns where we're not really a sports town, but it's one of those like, it seems like a cutthroat industry, a cutthroat town, not a lot of these positions available to go around. So it's like a musical chairs and somebody's yeah. always going to be left holding the bag. Is there a lot of like internal beefs amongst all, all of the locutores, like the, the, the radio personalities, the TV announcers There used to be. Yeah. I mean, I think there used to be a lot more than now. Now the whole business is beaten down. So, so it's like everyone's on the same fucking field. I, I, right. I mean, even the guys who are working now are working at a shred of what they used to work for. Uh, you know, I used to say all the time, and I never fucking got there, that radio had, you know, this handful of people that got insanely overpaid, and then everyone else got insanely underpaid. And that's how it worked, is you had this whole group, this 95% that got paid either minimum wage or the least they could got or that five percent that's just and then there's the holding it all you know i mean local guy I'll give you an example roger hedgecock mm-hmm. right roger hedgecock could just show up half in the bag roll his dick out on the mic for 15 years and get paid six figure salaries stupid money like stupid money you know i Many of the drive time hosts over the last few years are Jeff and Jer, right? Millionaires, you know, Dave Shelley and Chainsaw, millionaires in their first iteration. Now they're working for less money. Uh, you know, even guys like that got to pivot. Older, you got to pivot. But they're doing the same. They, they didn't. They didn't pivot. So they're doing the same thing for a lot less. You got to pivot, man, you know? or else you get stuck. Right. Um, so I didn't pivot until I got stuck. Uh, I spent from 04 to 09 working for Clear Channel. Some very interesting things happened during that time. I I, uh, got to spend two years working in progressive radio. Okay. 
those are probably my two most fun years purely working in radio. It was the first time I really got to have a show where I got to have my own voice, talk about whatever the fuck I wanted to talk about. Uh, and then I realized, oh my God, going from sports to the world, I don't have to talk about the hamstring of the left fielder or whether the you know whether you need to make a trade in basketball or something like I just realized, oh my God, how do you talk sports for three hours every day when you've got all this other stuff? <laughs> it's pretty fucking easy though, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, I know, right? Yeah, it's easier than you think. But uh, so that was incredibly fun. Uh, then uh, I got to cover the wildfire, uh, the cedar fire as a news person, driving for Kogo, driving a news car out, being in the middle of the fucking flames and interviewing people and doing stuff. Uh, and that was fascinating. That was a moment in time that I'll never forget. Uh, and then I was the one person when Extra Progressive Talk uh, KLSD 1360 went away and Extra Sports 1360 replaced it. I was the one person who didn't lose their job. Look at you. Uh, and and moved on to six not, to 1360 and then wound up having a talk show on 1360 uh, and thought I would live in radio forever. And I was doing in 08 five different jobs for Clear Channel because I would come in in the mornings and I would do sports updates on Kogo on their morning news show. I would also do sports updates on the Dan Patrick show, which led up to my own show. Then I would host a show from 9 to 12. Then I also was the Aztecs basketball host. I was the Aztecs football host. Um, and there was something else too. Like I was you were doing, grinding. I was doing like five jobs for 35 grand. It was not. But great. is that what it takes? Like yeah. the radio industry? That's what it takes. Oh, that's what it took. Yeah, Fuck, for man. sure. And it was never good money. Like I said, like 35 grand, I think at its peak. Um, and then Clear Channel sold itself to Mitt Romney's Bain Capital. Binchy Clear Channel, man. And Bain Capital was a giant company that gobbled up companies and did what's called strip and flip, where they pared down the company to bare bones and then sell it. And Bain Capital stripped and flipped Clear Channel. And <laughs> hilariously, they picked Inauguration Day 2009 deliberately, consciously, as their date to let go nationwide 45% of their staff. Jesus Christ. And it was over 55% in San Diego. Uh, they did it because Obama was being inaugurated and they knew they wouldn't make the front page. So... Politics, I, man. It was crazy. So we, shit was in the wind for the longest time. And I remember my wife and I talking in the weeks that led up to that date. And me stupidly, arrogantly telling her, honey, they can't let me go. I'm, I'm doing five things for $35,000. I'm way too valuable at way too low a cost for them to let me go. And it maybe it was 38. I don't know. But as it turned out, there was a line. I found out this years later that there was a line on the spreadsheet that anyone over this number was going to lose. And I was slightly over that number. <sighs> and I had been there for 10 years. So I had, a, you know, a lot of equity or whatever. Uh, so I was, a, I was a goner. And I went to work that morning, having told her the night before, don't worry. Like hearing the rumors, like feeling like the shit was about to hit the fan. It's like, no, I'm going to be one of the ones that makes it. 
And I remember doing my whole morning routine I had at that time and going in and doing my updates on Kogo and on the Dan Patrick show and doing all my show prep for my show that started from nine to noon. And like at 835, my producer said, I'm locked out of my computer. Uh Oh, I, I can't, I can't access the files. Sign number one. And I was like, fuck, I lost Carl. And like five to seven minutes later, right after the bushes had been seated, because uh, I was watching the inauguration, <laughs> uh, my boss at that time, uh, or our program director, Brian Wilson, came in sweating and pale, looking like probably he had the coronavirus. And, uh <laughs> Said you need to go down the hall. And then my bigger boss, Bill Pugh, the brother of Dan Patrick, uh, was there with a manila envelope, but one of many. And by 9.30, I was home. Uh, Fired, let go, having gathered my things. What would wifey say when you got home? Uh, Well, I mean, she was at work because she's a school teacher. And uh, at that point, I mean, I guess we probably had cell phones. I don't remember if I called her. I probably called her at work um, from our landline. Uh, I don't specifically remember that. But I do remember that at 8.47, I was prepping my show for my 9 o'clock launch. And at 9, like, 25 or so, I was home. Like, crying with the dog next to the washer-dryer with that manila envelope in my hand. Uh, Now talk about inflection points that manila envelope contained a very cushy severance package courtesy of Mitt Romney uh, and Bain Capital so people like myself who had been there for many years got nine months full paid severance so I was let go obviously in January 20th and uh, (laughs) eerily specific and uh, I knew that through the end of September basically I had my money or no, at the end of October. Yeah, yeah. I had my money. Uh, you know, like I was just being paid like like I was still at work. So uh myself and one of the folks who got let go at the same time, Chris Ello, who I've been mistaken for five million times in my <laughs> life. I thought about changing my name a couple times just for the number of points people said, Oh, I've no I know you, Chris. I know you, Chris. <laughs> Chris, I've listened to you for years. You don't know how many times I've heard that. Uh, We created, ahead of our time, (laughs) a a sports website, a sports podcasting hub called 619 Sports. And that's how I got my Twitter. That's how I got your handle. That's how I got my handle. Uh, Because we did it in 09 when Twitter started. And we had a brilliant producer who came from, uh, from 1360 named Danny Simmons, who was the best producer I ever worked for worked with um, and helped drive it and helped drive it from a tech standpoint. And we were doing shit in 09 that now would be really successful. Um, and we were just ahead of, we were ahead of our time. And uh, Chris also by September of that year, got an offer to go back to clear channel to do Aztec football and he's been an Aztec guy. <laughs> it seems like clear channel is just a revolving door of like, come in, get out, come in, get out. Fucking come in, my get life out. too. They, yeah. Like they, they, they played a major role. I forget how many years I had a particular thing that had a password of clear. CC sucks. <laughs> <laughs> <Do you really? laughs> 
Uh, I was so bitter at them. Uh, well, but, man, yeah, you lost your fucking career. A whole career. Yeah. And, I've never career. Gone, and I've never gone back. There is no worse feeling than that. You know, I've been in that position yeah. where you've been with a company and then from one day to the next, it's just like whoosh, pulled away from yeah. you. You know, I've I, had I, that yeah. phone call. I've had that moment where I'm like, the fuck, you yeah. know? And then it's like, there's like any other situation like now with the way with the pandemic or, or what we're going through now it's an op it's a moment where you presented an opportunity it's yep. like okay well what the fuck am i gonna do yeah. am i gonna just sit here on my hands and just kind of let these people dictate the future path that i'm gonna take or i'm just gonna say fuck it this is happening for a reason let's see where we're gonna take yeah. it from here and let's make it pop well, you know, it, it, it's it's funny. A guy you've had on on emo before, uh, Jerry, uh, my dear friend Jerry Jimenez, uh, asked me a, an honest question a couple of weeks ago. Like, why don't you restart 619 Sports? And, uh, I mean, there's a number of reasons why not now. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of them I, I won't get into, but involve stupid shit and tax stuff and Chris not filing a tax return and, and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> Uncovering things that'll fuck you yeah, if you do. <laughs> but, but, uh, also cause we missed our window. We had to stay with it. If we had stayed with it, I'd probably be only doing that now. That would be awesome. And I would have loved that. Yeah, for sure. Um, that would have been a really rewarding thing where when you asked me that question, that started this conversation, I would have been like, no, but yeah. You know what I mean? Because I did love the three-ish years that I worked on 619 Sports. And for the last two-plus years, it was kind of by myself or me, a little bit of Danny, a couple other people, um, not entirely alone. I don't want to say that if someone heard that, not just by myself. I did have help all the way. But uh, Chris, once he got his clear channel job, drifted away from the operation of it and the business side couldn't work. And if we had held on, it was always our dream. Like, and then you see it now, Bleacher Report absorbing and, you know, John Boy, those right. kinds of things uh, coming out. All these places, right. Never mind that, Barstool. or even podcast networks, you know, that get taken up by a bigger place, but then you've got this home, whether Podcast One or Westwood One or whatever, you know. Um, and we had that business plan of being sold to a, you know, maybe becoming the athletic, maybe becoming the thing, because it wasn't just a podcasting site. It was a writing site. It was a reporting site. It was a media hub. It was. And and the whole concept of 619 Sports was watching what was happening in my business, watching radio disappear, watching newspaper get worse and worse and worse, watching coverage shrink, where even the local high school teams weren't getting covered, where other sports in town weren't getting covered. It was only the Chargers, maybe the Padres. A little bit to the Aztecs, nothing never else. the soccer's, right? Never, never to the soccer's, never UCSD, mm. never USD, mm. never Point high Loma, school, anything, yeah, right? High, never yeah. Point Loma, and that was the whole idea of six one nine. We, you know, that was like we talked about that directly. Like every place they're ignoring, we're going to jump Let's in. Highlight, you know. Yeah. I, I remember we covered uh, San Diego Roller Derby. You know, and it was a really cool scene. And like, I, I was going to say, because that was a scene. Yeah. That still is. It's a scene. Yeah. It's yeah. A, and it was really cool. And I loved doing that and bringing that exposure to that and raising it up. Uh, it, it was a truly meaningful point in my life. And 
definitely as person who's chased, chafed against authority my whole life, it was great to work for myself. It was probably the, my best boss I've ever had. Uh, <laughs> but uh, although Phil comes in maybe higher, I don't know. I'm going to say Phil because he's still- you, I mean, you have to say yeah, Phil. What's I'm wrong with you, my man? <laughs> Phil is, I'm going to say Phil is the best boss I've ever had. Uh, but it was an incredible time. And then it became incredibly painful because I couldn't make money on it. I was maintaining it, not making money. It's kind of like- those survival shows you see where you're in the wild and you're not catching fish, like just eating yourself. Yeah. Um, I had to play poker for a year to try and make money. Like it was terrible. How'd you do? Not great. Yeah. Survived. It yeah. was horrible. I survived and it was one of the worst years of my life. Yeah. It's probably the worst year of my life. I spent all so many fucking nights in a casino playing cards, you know, like ugh, to make money here, to scratch money off of somebody, to wait for the right drunk to show up. Horrible bump him, but look horrible living. And now, right. So in that time, the greatest thing that came out of six one nine sports, the single best thing was that in the first year, and I will say it was because of poker. uh, I I did have an opportunity in the two thousands to play in this incredible home game that was on the the bottom floor of a tri level in Mission Hills. Uh, of a guy who was a Channel 10 satellite engineer. But it was in the heart of the Chris Moneymaker poker boom, and he was a complete poker nerd and uh, aficionado, and he had a five-table poker room in his bottom floor. Oh, shit. (laughs) And he would host this Wednesday tournament, uh, $40 buy-in, and three weeks out of the month, it was no limit, and then one week out of the month, it would be a random game. And uh, anyways, I met a guy who went on to be an incredibly successful pro poker player from that game who introduced me to Phil because he played poker with Phil. And there it is. And that's how I got to in 09 get 619 sports to carry soccer's road games on the internet. What a fucking score, bro. With me doing play by play and traveling with the soccers. And that evolved quickly because in the first playoff they ever did, they didn't have a PR guy their first season. (laughs) And, uh, I was like, Phil, you know, I could get some cameras out here. Like, I know some people, you know, why don't you let me show you what I could do for you in PR? And if I do well, you'll hire me. And that was our deal. And I got people to come out and cover the first ever soccer champ- uh, championship of that era. And that got me a job to do PR and announce So your the past team. history of wearing all these different hats working in the radio industry kind of paid off by you parlaying that into it showing did. Phil what you can do. No, it did. It absolutely did. And from 09 to 15, I worked for the Sockers. From 10 to 15, I had a front office job with the Sockers as their PR guy. Um, by 12, as 619 Sports was dying off, I got a chance to work at the Mighty 1090. Uh, and that I never worked more than part time there. I never truly pursued it as a career there. Um, although I certainly thought or, you know, shot at it a couple times, but. For a couple years, I, I was on a lot, and then I had a real falling out with the uh, the program director from for the rest of the time that it existed, Mike Shepard, and he, and that's a whole different story. <laughs> I don't know if you want to hear that one, but uh, he, he, I got on his shit list, and he he tor- he deliberately torpedoed my radio career for the rest of my time. For the, from the point that he decided he was done with me, I worked probably before when Linda Welby got sick. In 2018, uh, 
50 hours in four years. Oh, wow. Like two shows a year. Did you fuck the radio industry, man? Oh, 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 it's horrible. I would never want to. Once upon a time, I wanted to. I was like, I can, I can get involved in this. I can do that. I want to do this. I want to do that. When Gennaro was working at 1090, uh-huh. at one point, he really earnestly said to me, like, I really want to become a sports talk host. And I think I have this path and this is what I'm going to do. And I, I remember saying it just like, You, you no. took him under your wing. You're like, no, bro. Like, no, <laughs> don't do John, that shit. No, that's a really, really, really bad idea. Like, especially in 2015 or whenever that was, you know, like, that's a terrible idea. And they won't like you and they won't do it. They'll let a football player go on before you. Trust me. And it was always true. You know, and the dickheads they put on at 1090 uh, over the years. Uh, Name were, some of these dickheads. J.D. Hayworth. I mean, fucking hacksaw, of course. Uh, you know, now I have res- I have a grown respect for Scott. Um, the Rosenberg and Sherrod show. I mean, there was, there was a lot of not great at 1090 over the years. Um, I'm sure you worked with a lot of assholes. Sure. Uh, and radio was different back in the day. Um, and I'm, and I'm not, I've worked with a lot of great people too. Yeah. You know, and like, I mean, it just doesn't sound fun. It sounds, it was, you know, in many ways. So here's, what's fun about radio. Here it is. Listen up kids. This is for you guys that actually want to pursue radio right now is fun about radio right now is just like being on the radio essentially, except podcasts are way more personal, right? We're not thinking right now as we were in the nineties, you could watch the phone lines light up, you know? I'm saying this, oh, these people are lining up. They don't agree. They want to talk to me, right? They want to shit on what uh, you just said. You were very aware of your audience, especially working on a 77,000-watt blowtorch on ten on 690 that extended up to Alaska, like literally to oh, wow. Alaska. Uh, you know, a lot of reach. <laughs> I mean, Mexico, Alaska, New Mexico. We'd get calls from anywhere, Idaho. People would call us from Idaho that could hear the station. It would blow your mind. So you're aware of that audience. But radio is fun in the moment. What's super fun about radio is showing up and doing radio. Like if you have a talk show, if you have a morning show, like, and you know, a couple of times I've feeling for Ben and Woods here and there, like you show up, you talk, you have fun, you're entertaining. If, if you can do it, you're entertaining to other people. And if you can do it, it's not nerve wracking. It's no, not, it doesn't make the you floor. nerve. Right. And so that's fun. Yep. And that's, what's fun. The second the mics are off, it's a horror. It's, it's the worst. It's the absolute worst. It was always junior high school bullshit. It was always uh, the worst people in management, people who had just, all my worst bosses are radio bosses, without question. If you ask me the top five worst bosses in my life, you know, I would fill out a list and it would all be radio. So knowing what you know now, if somebody offered you a cush radio job, would you be inclined to jump in and say yes? No, fuck them no more? No. uh, If somebody offered me a radio job that I could do while maintaining my current job and I could uh, cash them checks for sure. in a Jalen Rose way, you know, keep cashing, keep getting them checks. Uh, I would do it for the money because it's fun and it's for me easy. Like I do have a lot of opinions on things. I can fill three hours talking about this, that, and the other thing. Um, but as a business, no chance. Would I give up what I'm doing to uh-uh. do that? Even in our horrible climate, yeah, I was going to say, even with the uncertainty, <laughs> even with even uncertainties, with no you wouldn't season, go in. Uh- <laughs> maybe, I would stay where I am. <laughs> Says a lot about the radio industry. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> because it's a night. It's it's an it's always been been a bad thing 
mostly in my life. It's been, uh, it's, it's been in some way a negative and I've, I've met a lot of bad people and, and had a lot of bad interactions. Um, it's stuff I love to do. I've always loved having that red light on, you know, I love the rush of it. I've always loved having the chance to be on it and and in it. Is that why you're heavily involved now with podcasts? Sure. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's just, it's way more fun. Tell me a little bit about the podcast. I love it. I'm a big fan. I listen to it when you guys put it out. I know you have two. Really? I have. Yeah. I mean, three, uh, trying to think if there was, there used to be a fourth. Uh, so since two, since 2015, I've done make the Padres great again with John Gennaro. Uh, that grew out of the two of us, not having a spot to be on the air on 1090, having an open studio to work in, which I used the hell out of that podcast studio from 15 to 19 <laughs> and, uh, having a desire to get to talk. You know, I've always wanted to talk baseball. Um, and, you know, we have, we haven't discussed goals, but, uh, you know, at that point I was doing, I was, I was taking what I thought was going to be the backdoor path to my dream, the sport I had never announced hockey, getting this brilliant chance. That's a, that's an entirely different story. Um, but you asked me about podcasts, uh, I'm going to try and be de- somewhat decent to you. Uh, <laughs> so that's when we started MTPGA. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, Right up my alley, by the way. We 100% named the podcast to be an ironic joke because we thought Donald Trump was a joke and we thought Make America Great Again was ridiculous and the Padres were horrible and Make the Padres Great Again was funny. Oh, something tells me you got a little bit of pushback, huh? No, it was between the two of us. Okay. Like we then like a year later actually did a podcast where it was like, should we change the name of this podcast? Cause we don't, we in early 2016, John made us red hats that said, <laughs> make the Padres great again. I remember putting it on. We did a show for 1090 from the all-star fan fest that year. Cause 2016 hosted the all-star yes, game. Sir. And I remember being inside fan fest, putting that hat on the broadcast dais and getting people doing the, Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> you wait a see, second. <laughs> you couldn't see me, but making the very concerned and wait, are you oh, an asshole? Look? This guy doing? And then going, oh, no, wait, it says Padres. That's funny. Um, and then, I mean, we both threw away those hats uh, after November of 16, but we kept the name because we thought the goal to actually make the Padres great was our goal and fuck Trump. We can, we can do this for us. Yes, sir. Um, and so it's been, I have loved our journey and I love that we get to continue to do it. Um, you know, we did it as a 1090 thing for multiple years. We had to stop for a whole like seven or eight months. Yeah, you guys are going to run on hiatus. Well, because John got hired in his current job yep. working as the director of podcasts for, for Vox, for SB Nation, a, a national position that he does from home in San Diego. And they had no Padres podcast and, Unlike now where it seems like a no brainer, like no one thought it was necessary for there to be a Padres podcast. Uh, Very necessary, Craig. Very necessary. So he needed that much time to convince them to let us do make the Padres great again under a Vox banner, uh, which was the only way legally he could do it. He was, he was forbidden by his contract. Yeah, I remember listening to those episodes where you guys were like, well, eh, it's touch and go for a while because you didn't know if it was going to go through. Right. 
Absolutely. And then it did go through. And then early on, because there was some real bullshittery at Gaslamp Ball at some point, you know, some folks in Padres Twitter were upset with us. Uh, maybe a couple people still are. I don't know. But I think in general, people now don't associate the website Gaslamp Ball with our, with our podcast. On a side, for those of you who like sports and who are on Twitter and are from San Diego and love the Padres, there's a group called Padres Twitter that gets a lot of uh, notoriety. A lot of notoriety. Good, good people. I, I'm friends with a few of them. I know I'm actually acquaintances with a few of them. And uh, yeah, it's just, I, I love the... I love what they do. I love what they're about. I love how everything comes together. Basically, we're a bunch of fucking trolls that go around trolling other teams, tro trolling amongst themselves. Padres Twitter, you basically don't want to be on the wrong side of them because like, well, there's yeah. a little pool with them. Well, they've got a couple of, of uh, traditions that wear on opponents. The, I think the biggest one being the jump the score thread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take yeah. over the score thread after yeah. the game. Yeah, that final score pops up and then there's like 700 memes that mm -hmm. are generally very funny do other do other team fans do that to other not the way the Padres no it's, fucking <laughs> yes. and, and that's you saw that with the Astros <laughs> oh yeah freaking out when yeah. the, you also saw it with the Rangers closing their replies yeah. a couple of nights not today <laughs> yeah. it's like wow we're in your head now yeah. not we I don't do it but you know the Padres Twitter is in your head um so John and I have had a wonderful time doing that podcast it's always been fun I, I think we have a great chemistry I love him very much as a friend uh, and, and I'm happy that we do it. And now thanks to Vox, at least I get to make a, like a tiny, tiny two digit number, you know, but, uh, make a little money from Bro, doing the podcast. You get paid to do a podcast. Right. I Look get at paid you. To do a podcast, right? You're a so professional podcaster. Right. Um, and so it, it is nice when the season starts and the check goes <laughs> up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, people really like this show. Very like nice. I can tell. Um, and the funny thing was, uh, Steve, that, my favorite part for many, many a month of doing Make the Padres Great Again was what we used to do at the end of every podcast, which is John and I would put on a different hat and we would start to talk about the shows we're watching. Yep. And we would spend the last 10 minutes of the, sh of the podcast bullshitting about TV or movies. And I've always loved talking that. I've always loved like the critic's life, uh, you know, just doing that stuff. And that, that was, I mean, I would seriously prep more for that sometimes when then we were doing MTPG <laughs> than the baseball. I'd like, I came with a little baseball, but I'm like, I'm ready when it comes to when we're talking about whatever show, you know? And so I, there was a bunch of times that I, I was trying to say to John, we should split this off into its own podcast. Like let's stop. Cause I would get a few replies every single podcast from people would be like, yep, stop press stop on that bad boy right at 52 minutes when you started talking about tv uh-huh uh you know i'm like okay that's fine that's cool we lose a little bit of our audience at the 50 we used to joke about it like okay now everyone's gone we're gonna talk tv uh but i kept like pushing him like come on man we should do a tv show we should do a tv podcast we should just do a whole podcast doing that and and like he said okay yes there's a fucking market for it right and we did literally one um, and he had just gotten really started at Vox and he, we did, we did one and was like the next morning he just texted me. He's like, dude, there's just no way I, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm like, well, shit, what am I going to do, man? I can't do this by myself. Why not? And he goes, well, here's an idea. And I was working at 1090 at that time. Uh, why don't you just pick a different person every week? 
and just kind of go around the building and go, hey, what are you watching? What are you watching? You know, would you watch this one show for me? You know, let's talk about it in two weeks, you know. And and so that's how Crossing Streams began. And that's my TV podcast. And I just posted episode 89 this afternoon before I came down uh, to tape. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited that we'll be to 100 before the end of the year. Hell yeah, bud. Uh, of Crossing Streams. And that's my... One true passion project is crossing streams. It's the th- I put in the work. I can tell, man. I even watch when you the shows. That. You know, I, just by the way you promote it, I'm right, like, oh, this like, dude really—he's about this episode. Well, he's about it, this you know, show. I put that I'll, and I promote it, and I'll get three likes for that, and then I put up a funny Padres tweet, and I get seven hundred and fifty likes for it. I'm like, can you fuckers come over here and listen to my podcast too? <laughs> you know, like, thank you for thinking I'm funny. Maybe you might enjoy. I the got show. some shit to say. <laughs> yeah, maybe you might enjoy the show if you think my tweets are funny. You know. Uh, but it, it is, it's a, it's a passion project. And part of honestly, you know, and this is obviously a, a very long winded discussion, but you're hearing some of these points in my life where my career has been completely shaken to the core. And I mean, it happened like about four different times. I was going to say my, multiple times. That my career one. got completely shaken to the core. And so I'm always trying to give myself what could possibly be the next thing, you know, because if I could get, paid money to do a podcast like that. Are you kidding me? You know, or if I could just break into that field in any way, that'd be, that might be another way to, to get to the next spot. Um, yeah. I mean, there's been between not taking that MLB job back in the day, having my radio career canceled, having my business partner skip on me, uh, when we had a private business that I, I really do think if we had stayed with it would have been successful. Um, having a program director decide that I had embarrassed him and basically, and according to a story I was told later after the fact, went to Joe Totino on Joe's first day coming back to 1090 saying, we have to fire fucking Elston. Oh, and Joe being like, no, because Joe and I worked together at soccer. So oh, nice. <laughs> a little bit of history. Jesus Christ, man. These fuck it's cutthroat then. It's absolutely cutthroat. How about Coach John Cantera? Coach Cantera and I worked together for basically 20 years. Uh-huh. Um, he gave me my very first ever on-air break, which was sports updates on the John Cantera High School scoreboard show, Friday nights, 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on the Mighty 690. So still broadcasting <laughs> to Alaska, but talking San Diego High School sports. And uh, first I got to do some updates on that show, like the midnight and 1230 updates. Uh, Then I got to go to games and file reports and be live, you know, like go chart the game at seven o'clock and then come home and write a report and then announce it at 1130 on the air. Grinding. Over the phone. Oh my God, it was so exciting. Uh, (laughs) You know, and then eventually I produced for John when John uh, was on the air as the night host on 690 for probably three years. Him and Conan McKnight uh, were teamed for a long time, and I was his producer. Uh, and so I was working, you know, till two in the morning a lot, but, uh, you know, worked with him. And then when I went to soccer's, eventually he got hired as the general, general manager, manager of soccer's. Yes, sir. And there was this incredible time toward the very end of that where, John was my boss at soccer's and we were peers at 1090 where Joe was my boss at 1090, but we were peers at soccer's. Look at the Venn diagram you lived in, bro. <laughs> it was disgusting. 
<laughs> and then uh, John to, I will give him credit, uh, propelled my career because in 15, 14, 15, uh, at that point I'd been working for soccer's for six years. I was making piss money. Um, I had been making piss money. I mean, maybe 25 grand for the year for all I was doing. Um, and I asked for a raise and like, it was a thing like it had been building up all year. Like the players wanted me to step into the front office into a bigger role. The, the players had your back. The players had my back. The staff had my back. Like people wanted me to step up, but coach wanted a raise for himself. And he, I remember we had an end of year meeting in the spring of 15 and he went around the, the table and he had lavish praise for everyone at the table and he criticized me. And then at the end, he, he came in and gave me one of those uh, mafioso type handshakes and said in my ear, yeah, it's, it's not going to happen. And, Jeez. Yeah. And Why? Because he wanted the bigger piece of the pie. He wanted a raise. Uh, he went to management after that to get a <laughs> raise. Fuck radio. Fuck the connections, man. Right? Fuck the politics. So here's the funny thing. I, I, I blame myself for every step of my career. Okay. Everything that I, every regret I have, I don't blame on someone else. It, it's decisions I've made along the way. There was a lot of jobs that I could have pursued. That's what I really think of as lost opportunities. That MLB radio job is number one on that list. Right. I, I truly believe if I had in January of 02 said, honey, I'm moving to New York one month after you're being married. Right. One month after getting married, I'm moving to New York. I'm taking a job with Major League Baseball on this internet. The internet was bullshit in 2001, you know, AOL, like literally AOL. <laughs> and and it, I'm going to be on this internet radio, right? If I had done that, I firmly believe I'd be on MLB Network. You Sitting know, next to Matty V. Maybe be in Matty V's job, right? Yeah. You know, like, you know, God bless Matty V, who's a friend and I love. Yeah, I used to have those connections. Santa Maria. But, uh, and I, you know, and then he's now ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. But like that MLB job that I wanted, that was the That path. was the goal. That was the path to get there. If I had done that, if I had just torpedoed my relationship, I, I, I that could have happened. There are other jobs along the way I never went out for that then went to someone else. And then I went, you know, I really, I, I know I could have got that. I know if I really tried, I could have got that. And then in March of 15, John said, sorry, hey, sorry, it's not going to happen. And I got out to the car and I said, fuck you. And I can't believe I'm going to fucking do this for 25 grand again. I'm not. And you know what? Everyone's been saying that I should try out for the gulls. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go do it. Screw it. I'm going to go do it. And I, I had become really good friends with Ernie Hahn. By that point, he was, he backed me like he thought I was really good at what I did. And I'm like, Ernie, I need an in, you know, get me in a room with Ari Siegel, who was the president of the Gulls. president of the club. Yeah. And I got in a room at the sports arena with Ari Siegel and convinced him off my soccer tape, telling him straight up, I've, you know, I have like, no experience in I'm hockey. Like, I know. Did like, you know anything about hockey? I was a hockey fan okay. before the, the, before that year that they shut down for a year. 
before the year that they shut down for an entire year, I was a diehard LA Kings fan. Like I complete, and I, we, I used to joke with my friend, the NHL is a two team league, the Kings and everyone else. I don't give a shit about anyone else, but I love the LA Kings. And, uh, then they took an entire year for a lockout or whatever. And they came back and the home jerseys were on in the road and the road jerseys were on at home. And there were a bunch of Russians playing that weren't there before. And I, I was out like at that point I had moved on. And I, and so I wasn't a hockey fan for probably, like 10 years going into getting that job uh, and had been before, but then had been in this soccer and convinced Ari, God knows how, I don't know, but, and, and Ari took a chance on me um, and all, and he's the best boss I've ever had in my life um, and gave me that opportunity. And for three years, I got the chance to do what I would say is my most fun job of my career, which was announcing hockey at a triple A level, being, being one, one level below the NHL, mm -hmm. you know, and, and knowing there were 31 NHL jobs and there were 31 AHL jobs. And I had the best AHL job by a mile. Without, Everyone, I was in San Diego. California. Without that being the goal, you know? Right. No, that was never the goal. That was not the goal, but it was like, whoa. And then you probably stepped into somebody else's dream for that moment. A little bit. And then, you know, I really took to it and I love, I, Hockey is easily objectively the most fun sport for me to announce because it's the hardest by a mile. It's the hardest sport to call. And so it's very, very challenging. Truth be told, I've never watched more than five minutes of hockey, man. Even when they had that experiment where the hockey puck was highlighted on Fox. <sighs> I remember that. I was like, oh, maybe I'll give it a shot now. Well, I just you know, Steve-O, I can't quite figure out why you wouldn't follow hockey. I can't quite put my finger on it. Has there ever been a Mexican in hockey? Uh, like one. Really? Two, yeah. How awesome was he? Pretty good. There was yeah. a guy, you know, there was one guy, there was a guy at least who had a Mexican surname. He was from the New York Island, Rangers, right? Or Islanders, I think, yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I know who he is. <laughs> yeah, there's like a couple of Mexicans. Uh, mostly, if you're going to speak any foreign language in, the, in hockey, it's Swedish. Yeah. Swedish or Russian. You know, it's white, white or whiter. Um, but, but hockey was, and so I get that. And actually it's amazing, Steve, because hockey is a unique sport amongst all the other sports. Soccer is global. Yep. Uh, MLB is American. NFL has global reach. NBA has global reach, right? There's so many of these sports that are played even down to a child's level, right? And then there's hockey. Hockey is the most siloed sport of any sport in the world. If you are in the silo, hockey is the, the only best. sport yeah, in the world. For sure. It's the only sport. Hockey fans only care about hockey. They care about hockey every hour of every day. They could talk in August for 12 hours about potential free agent acquisitions. They could watch five dipshits who are 16 years old skate around in a circle and just jack off to it. They're, if you're in hockey, you are in hockey. <laughs> you step outside of the silo and the silence is deafening. No one gives two shits about hockey. The second you step outside of the silo, step inside the silo, it's everything. You know, and so I was in the silo for three years. And that world was hype. It was. It was hype. I loved being in it. Yeah. I loved the feeling of the cold hitting your face when you walk in for work. Like you walk in for work and you're wearing a suit and then pew, 
that blast of cold. I've always loved that going to a hockey. Hockey is only great in person. Okay. The reason you've never enjoyed it is probably you haven't got other than maybe some golf games, never really gone in person. It's a great sport in person. It's it, it, the first Kings game I ever went to. I was completely hooked. You know, before I watched it on TV, I thought it was stupid, you know, uh, but all of that was incredible. And the challenge was incredible and it was fun. And I thought maybe people told me I was good. Uh, by my third year, people were telling me you're the best one in the whole league. Hell yeah. You know, and uh, people, and fans were telling me, you know, I couldn't do this without you and da, da, da. And I, you know, I was in my head. You know, I thought I had the best job I could have. I mean, and what happened? Uh, the director of communications hated me. Oh. We had, well, no, what happened was Ari left. That's what happened. And they, he was your in. He, Ari was my in, Ari was my mentor. Ari was there for one year. Ari left to go run the Phoenix Coyotes. Okay. And he left. And I mean, we, we didn't say this to each other explicitly, but it was like, spend a year, another year in San Diego, Craig. Season. I mean, he said to me, our announcers are horrible. Yeah, so these guys don't light a candle to you. And it was like, spend another year in San Diego. Come on over to Phoenix. You're going to get the call. You know, the call is going to come. You're going to get that chance. And what happened was (laughs) Ari put all his chips on a play for Arizona Coyotes to have a new arena in Tempe, and it fell through. And when the deal fell through, Ari fell through. Oh. And Ari left Arizona after like a year and a half um, and went on to uh, Immortals and he's working in esports and he's working with Ellie Valiant and he's got a great, he's in a, you know, he keeps moving. He's, he's doing inno- his thing. He's an innovator. He's, he pivots. He pivots. Absolutely. He fucking pivots. But my end to an NHL job, the first time, Steve, in my career, the one thing I've never had, never, never in my career is a person above me who believed in me. Never. I mean, the closest I came to that in my radio career was Cliff Albert at Kogo and KLSD. Cliff knew I was, I was good at radio. He gave me opportunities. Having that, does that motivate you to work harder and achieve what you want? Or does that kind of just kind of bum you out, bum you out and derail your, your path? Uh, It definitely motivated me for, a long time, but at some point it's depressing. Cause for me, man, I mean, I feel you. I mean, when somebody tells me I can't do something or when somebody says, nah, man, that you can't open a brewery, you're Mexican, Mexicans don't own breweries or, right. you know, like a Mexican podcast. What are you doing? That's not going to work. Oh, right. you, you, you lost your job in this industry that you've had for almost 20 years and you're going to just start something. No, it's dumb, man. You can't do that for me. And I was just having this conversation with my folks this morning. And I was like, you know what? My dad once upon a time said, you know what? Your cousin's, they got street sense. They've, you can't keep up with them. You can't contend with what they do. And I told him, dude, you told me that. And it always stuck in my head. And that just always forced me to, it doesn't matter what people say. If I want something, I'm going to fucking get it. And I'm going to do everything within my power. Yeah. And I know that the, the into that yang is like, some people do get depressed. Some people do get pushed off their, their perch. And it's like, nobody's there to get my back. Nobody's there to believe in me. Right. Well, I mean, my whole radio career at, 690, I was always considered a secondary player. 
right? And the opportunity came to go to Kogo. That was the first time someone believed in me. And I had four years of great management. Padres, um, and that was incredible fun. And then another five years of being, you know, a full-time working person, uh, whether it was Kogo or KLST or Extra, so that, that, that's, you know, when I, I say that I'm, I'm immediately backtracking. Cliff had my back. Cliff believed in me. He didn't want to make me a star. He want to make me the number one, but he did have my back. He, he had my back from a structural standpoint. That's the only person in radio that ever had that for me. Uh, at 1090, I was tolerated until I was, was considered persona non grata. And then I somehow stayed there for five more years. I, I literally, John could tell you that story. I literally at the beginning of like two different years said, you know what? I think I'm just going to quit just so that I can quit just so that I can a say that I quit so that I can be like, fuck you. I quit. I walked away. Yeah. And, and B so that I now am announced as not being hired. So maybe there's a chance I could be hired somewhere else. Cause generally it's, if you get fired or let go, it's yeah. like, uh. it's a lot less than you think of, Oh, let's go grab 1360's personality to come be on 1090. Let's go poach from the other team. It's not like it is in sports. Uh, there's not that, that cross training. It does happen, but it, you know, it's more because Darren's case, he loot 1090 disappears and then he gets a chance to go to 1360. Before that, they weren't like, you He's know. He's another grinder. No, he is. Absolutely. He is another grinder. But Ari believed in me and uh, I think still continues to believe in me and was my greatest beacon to get to at at that point, my early 40s, to finally get to my play-by-play dream, to get to the major leagues. And I was like, I can't believe it. It's going to be the NHL. It's going like, to be hockey. The, the <laughs> yeah. last sport I would have said it was going to be. Um, I don't know, but man. It, but you, it's going to be that. It's It's been awesome. You know, like you just you listening to you, your career paths, what you consider shortcomings, other would consider like, that's fucking awesome. It's just weird. Like I, I, anybody who I talk to comes in and we just shoot this shit. It's like, I, I get to kind of like peel back the layers on them and, and get to know them. Cause I yeah. know you just like, know you face, face value. Right. right? That's, that's well, Craig, we worked you know? in business together yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and know, I think we still do as long yeah. as. We- in fact, I think uh, yeah. I need to get a check from you. I got you. I <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> I just remembered that. Um, but uh, yeah, no, Ari had my back. And then when Ari lost his job in Arizona, that shut my door. Ugh. Because uh, it's not that the man who replaced Ari didn't have my back. Matt was, was always pretty good to me till the very, very end. Matt was always, I would say, very good to me. Um, but the same year that Ari left, his handpicked, extremely young and talented, although we we had, you know, our scrapes at times, but we found a mutual respect. Young kid named Sam Kiekeffer uh, was their director of communications for the Gulls. He was like 24 in the director of communications for the Gulls. And instead of being on what would have been a 100% sure path to the Anaheim Ducks, the people of the Ducks loved him. Um, and that was also weird, by the way, working for the Ducks. I was a lifelong Kings fan. Uh <laughs> Sam decided right before the 2016 season that, you know what? I don't want to work in sports. I had mad respect for that kid. He dipped out mad respect for that. 24. He's about the only person I've ever met in my career in any of these lines that wasn't addicted to the allure of the possibility of being in sports. And how sexy it is to be in sports, you know, uh, and, and most there is a sexiness to sports. I think most people feel there is. Yeah, for sure. You're surrounded by, you know, major league players, professional players, whatever sports it is that is. 
it's kind of appealing. Yeah. You and know? working in team sports, especially as opposed to all my career in the media, you're on the outside. You're, you're kind of the enemy or you're tolerated. But when you're working in team sports, you're all working together. You know, you're trying to win the game, fill the seats, make the money, get the championship. Like it all, it all fits for me. I love doing that. I love working in team. I love that I am working in team sports. Now it's a happy accident that I have worked in team sports for 11 years and look to continue to do so for the end of my career. I don't think I'll ever go back to radio. I don't think I'll ever get a chance to do major league play by play. I don't think I'll ever get a chance to, maybe I'll get a chance to announce a local team again. I don't know. Other than San Diego soccer's. Um, but maybe not, maybe it's all done for me. Uh, but I've had these opportunities along the way. Um, but yeah, the guy who, who followed Sam really didn't like me and spent all of my second year at Gulls making my life miserable and trying to get me fired. And he failed. And basically I got to give the kid credit. He had stick to <laughs> And when he failed at the end of my second year, he spent the whole third year doing a shadow campaign to both simultaneously make me feel safe and work to get me gone. Uh, and then Man, you've had some assholes on your side, dude. And then, and he, he got the chance to do the deed himself and to uh, fire me and to do it at a coffee shop instead of a business establishment and to really do me like shit. Um, and it was, it was horrible. Um, and I thought, and that's why it was depressing, right? It's like, I thought it was that this close to maybe fulfilling what had been since I was 16 years old, a dream. And then 46 and done, you know, uh, and, and, and knowing, knowing I was not going to keep chasing hockey. Like there was no fucking chance. I have a friend and we haven't talked in a while. I should, I should give him a call. But at the same time was the Tucson announcer. I became friends with all the announcers, right? You know, that we'd meet each other. We're all in the same business. And this guy was a hockey lifer. And he had even announced for Nashville. He had gotten to the NHL for a couple of years. Then he was working in the AHL, but he was all hockey. And whereas I got let go like right away at the end of the season, he got let go at the end of the fiscal year, that same summer uh, of 18, when all the jobs had been filled. Mm. And so he got let go and there were no jobs. It's worst time to get let go, man. He's still never gotten back into hockey. I mean, he'll call some like random Tucson, you know, like college, Arizona college stuff or something, but he's not it. And that was his only job. You know, that was his only, that was, that was it. So I was blessed. There you go. And, and incredibly fortunate to always be able to roll, always be able to pivot, but then to have, a great relationship with Phil where when I left Phil for hockey, we talked and we always talked about, you know, he always said, there's always a home for coming you. Coming back. I'm coming back there's, to the soccer. There's always a home for you here if you want a home. And we found a cool mix and it's not like I got a marketing degree, man. You know, uh, I didn't study that shit. Yeah, I but studied, you created it. Right. But I, so in a lot of ways, what do, am I working off? I'm working off my experience. experience. I'm working off my instincts. I'm working off knowledge of market and relationships. Mm -hmm. um, and it's fun to have this incredibly storied franchise, but now is in a position where we're all fighting for this incredibly small market share and no one pays attention, you know, uh, to stay relevant, to stay real and to stay winning and to, to stay true. And 
it, it's a fascinating and unique challenge. And now maybe mixing in building an arena and how do you manage an arena and how do you book acts and how do you bring in the beer vendors and how do you, you know, like how does it all come together? Um, again, didn't go to college for that. Didn't do anything in my career for that. Uh, but these are new, exciting challenges. So I have finally answered, I think, basically the one question you asked me on this podcast, which is, was this my dream job? And I said, no. I mean, no, because my dream job was to be a big league play-by-play announcer. And I didn't get there. I got really close. You're I, closing the book on that. I mean, I no. Yeah, okay. I am. Oh, no, you are? I, no, I am. I, I am. I mean, I don't think I'll ever make it. Um, if I do, that'll be maybe because Ari got a big league job or something, you know, like honestly, that'd be about the only way I could imagine. I didn't even, and, and I didn't even try. People said for two years, Oh, you should go become the Seattle play by play announcer for the Seattle Kraken. Right. Uh, no, uh, I, I didn't apply, uh, because I'm knee deep in what we're doing, but also, you know, they wound up hiring, I think the first African American, uh, NHL play by play announcer and great for them, you know, but, the market's drifting away from people like me way away. You either got to be 30 or under or, or you you've got to ch- tick a box now. Like a guy like me is not going to make it. Um, you create your own box there, Craig. So I've created my own box. I'm not going to get that dream job, but I'm in a, I'm blessed. I'm blessed to be doing what I'm doing. I'm blessed to be in a stable family and to still be married. And I didn't destroy that career and a, or that marriage for a career and as a result, you know, we're in our 19th year together and we, have a nine, and we have a nine-year-old son, you know, and James wouldn't exist. Maybe someone else would exist, but James wouldn't exist if, if uh, I hadn't made the choices I did make. Yeah. All these choices the led to this path, led to where you are now. That is right. And, and working in team sports instead of being in a toxic, negative environment in radio, you know, that's something that I'm very much happy about. And, and like I told you, I mean, unless they gave me money, like serious coin and I could do it on the, on the side tick, I wouldn't abandon my current career for what I'm doing for, for the, for that job. That's not my dream. Now give me a chance to do Jesse Agler's job. I would drop it. I would drop everything. I would drop everything. And I, I could Speak do it, it into existence, my and dude. I could do it for a year and drop dead in the booth, and I would be completely, completely happy. Um, but you know that shit ain't happening. Um, you know I don't think Wayne Partello is going to give me a call. I would, I would do a great job. I'd be one of the best announcers. The is he the kind of guy had. you can give a call to? Yeah, but I think at this point he couldn't announce. He couldn't hire the guy who used to be the minor league hockey announcer three or four years ago to do his job. I feel like he has to put up to MLB a hired, you know, look at this young diverse person who came through the MLB system, you know? Um, So probably, probably the dream's dead. You know, I mean, honestly, probably my lifelong dream will never come to pass, but I still have found an opportunity to talk into microphones, to, have a chance to really speak my truth now more than worrying. Like right now, I, I the soccer's don't care what I say on my third podcast, soccer's overtime, uh, or what I say on make the Padres great again, or what I say on crossing streams, you know, it's not the gulls did by the way, they paid close attention. Oh yeah. They, they wouldn't like, they would monitor my tweets. 
Like, oh, we thought that was a little too risque. You should take it down. It wasn't even about you. It's about the Padres, you know, like it was about a movie or something. We don't, we don't think that fits our brand. Their brand was vanilla bean was going way down, way out on the limb for them. You know, vanilla was considered extreme. Uh, Man, he's a spicy. To- flavorless tofu was considered <laughs> the, right in the sweet spot of, uh, of, of color uh, there. But yeah, I mean, uh, now th- this is where I am and I'm, I'm very blessed and fortunate. Not, you know, I'm, this is the most money I'm making in my career uh, by a good more and, and considerably more than I made with this, with the goals and money isn't everything, but, but it's, it's a big factor. But when you're get, pushing 50, you can't keep living on 25 grand a year or even 35 grand a year, you know? And that's what I lived on for a lot of my adult life. And if my wife wasn't a teacher getting reasonably well-paid, we would have not made it. You know, she was the primary breadwinner. Most of my, and still is because she's now tenured and, <laughs> and now she makes a goodly sum to be a teacher, but uh, you know, but now I can at least finally fucking like stand up, you know, and be somewhat equ- equivalent and, it's really exciting to do something like come up with, be able to get Landon Donovan to, to play awesome. for the soccers. You that know, was rad. To, to, to really have a chance to help steer the franchise. You know, the thing that was that, an exciting time. Oh my God. I mean, it was, it was unique. Right. And it helps Landon to get to loyal and, you know, it helped us to replatform to some extent. Uh, it's the blueprint I'd like to see our league follow. You know, I'd like to see our league take this, if it is, year and a half off and missed season and find 10 owners that are really into this shit and not the, let's just say 20 that are half in. And let's do it. Let's have a DP on every team. You know what? I'm gonna have you. I'm gonna have you back in so we can talk about that because I have a feeling probably what the next month shit's probably going to start to. Come to fruition a little bit more. Well, or maybe in the next year, who knows? But like, I'd I'd like to see our league re- rebrand. Yeah. I, and honestly, this is my current long term project I'm working on right now. Is uh, I'm part. It's sneakily part of our retro channel. I'm watching all these old games. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm doing research. Like I'm trying to. What was it that clicked? We can't recreate 1986. The environment won't exist. MLS didn't didn't exist back then. There's a lot of things that are different. But what are the things about the sport that we could bring back? What are the things that we have missed? What are the ways that we can... Retro's cool these days. What are the ways that we could make our league retro and kitsch and cool? Uh, what are the th- and also, what are the ways we can make ourselves big time? What are the talent pools we're not exploring that might be valuable? And could we become a place for MLS old players to go and make some money to keep our league afloat. In other words, do we have enough owners that could play it, pay enough MLS good players with not Landon, but with cachet? A little bit of names. Hey, Messi got on the market. It's going to be on the market. Right? You know? Come on. Can we jump go? in on Messi a yeah, little bit? Can huh? we ju- yeah. Let's see if, <laughs> Phil, do you want to buy that arena or <laughs> do you want to counterpoint? <laughs> What if we like got messy for a year? Yeah, right. <laughs> Jeez, man, that would be fucking awesome. Would- <laughs> it's probably only a quarter of the cost of the arena to, to buy messy for a year. I, I don't know. Elson, thank you for being an open book today, bro. You 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 put it all out there. I guess I did. You put it all out there. 
I'm gonna have to, we're going to have a different show, a different discussion where we talk about the Padres. Because there's a lot to right. fucking talk about yeah. the Padres. No, you said, tell me about your career. I mean, and your you know life what? As soon as, and, and as soon as we got into that, I was like, no, no, this isn't about trade scenarios coming up or fucking who's the, who's the biggest douchebag you've met in this industry or anything Hacksaw, like that. He's the biggest douchebag Lee in the Hacksaw world. Hamilton, Lee Hacksaw yeah. Hamilton's a horrible show. Uh, for a player, Matt Latos was, was the absolute worst. See, we're going we're, we're uh, to save that for a Padres yeah, show. Save that for a different day. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to you tell me your story. I'm sorry man. I talked so much. Bro, it was, what was it? We're like an hour 40. Perfect. Okay, good. Perfect. But to go and talk about the Padres seems like it would be doing a disservice to everything you told me up until this point. We're going to make them great again. Dude, Just to know that. This, plus, it's hot as shit in here today, yeah, man. The, air, the AC keeps going on and off. And Welcome to the dungeon, bro. This is the fucking it's dungeon. It's all good. It's all good. Craig? You're an emo brown vet now, bro. Yes, dude. And you, and you gave me some emo brown stories, man. I gave you some you're emo. Fucking, you're There's the, a definite emo in you're this You're the podcast. saddest Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely win the saddest Mexican award fucking today. But oh, killer, killer story. I look forward to hearing more about wh wh where you're taking this. I'm a big fan of everything you've done. Honestly, man, I can legit tell you that I follow what you've done. And I'm a fan. And, and I think it's cool when I get to bring in a fan and actually just shut the fuck up and just listen. Well, you know how much of a fan I am of yours and how I've you know wanted to get you involved in what we're doing.